God damn it, I have to be part of this stupid positivity bullshit. Hello, and welcome to the Downloadable Concept Podcast. With me today is Talon Lee, The Two Thrones. This is about my people! <laughs> and also with me is Fox Lee, The Sands of Time. Uh, that's appropriate, because the first console I owned was a Game Gear. And I'm Jeb Wrench, 2008. <laughs> <laughs> In all seriousness, I can do the what you've been playing this week really quickly. I've played Police Quest 1. I have been playing Hot Tin Roof, the cat that wore a, wore, wore a fedora. It's a, it's a, it's a blocky film noir Metroidvania game with a female protagonist and a cat that wears a fedora. The first thing that happens in the, the first thing that happens in the game is you pick up your revolver and your cat asks why they can't have a gun. And you have this this conversation with your cat as to why the cat is not responsible enough yet to have a firearm. Please buy this game. It's amazing. <laughs> I I've been making a game actually. Not not so much making a new game, but I've been adapting an existing game. <laughs> oh, this is the Domino's thing, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Van Domino's. Oh yeah. Yeah, talk about that. Well, basically, I was looking for ideas that I could do for Room 801, which is a uh, Yai and Yuri convention. Takes place in March this year in Australia. Um, Room801.com.au. I can talk properly. We'll have a link in the description. <laughs> yeah. Um, and something that I thought would be a lot of fun to try out for that is basically a set of dominoes where instead of matching same number to same number, you're matching two halves of a cute anime couple. So uh, at the moment I have a girl set which has uh, adorable Chibi, Korra, and Asami, and Ivy and Harley Quinn and so forth. Uh, and I have a matching boy set with you, you know, Shinji and Kaoru and... Yeah. What do we got? Isaiah and Shizuo. Groose and Tingle. Nobody wants Tingle! Get out! Everybody wants Tingle. No! Don't we remember that great Tears for Fear song? Everybody wants to be with Tingle. Get out. You know the whole Microsoft sale thing that I'm the only person that seems to have written about? What the fuck? What's going on? <laughs> Microsoft is uh, has been holding their, their ultimate game sale this week. And a few places mentioned it and said, you know, this, this, this sale has some fantastic deals. It's one of the best console game sales we've ever seen. One of the titles in it was an average Dark Souls clone called Lords of the Fall. Nobody has heard of Lords of the Fall, but it's a $65 game. It's a full price title. Oh, right. Sorry. <laughs> Lords of the Fallen in EB um, has a box cover version which is selling on it's the Xbox, isn't it? Green Green Case is the Xbox. Yeah, I assume it's yeah. Xbox if my, if it's Microsoft. Of course, sale. <laughs> I I know consoles. Har har. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, criminals? <laughs> <laughs> Who would like to play video game? <laughs> what is this Skiensi? <laughs> I did buy an Xbox. Anyway, um, uh, it, it's on sale. Box front on sticker, one hundred and nine dollars. <laughs> so it is a full fledged. It's a full price, yeah. Well, when this, when this, when this, when the sale launched, they accidentally put up some titles that were meant for the weekend part of the sale, such as Halo, Halo uh, Master Chief Collection. But Lords of the Fallen was in this sale for nine dollars Canadian hmm. for several hours. Ah! Did you snaffle it? The developers, I did not get it. I hope someone. Did. A lot of people did. The developer tweeted about it. The publisher tweeted about it. It was shown on Microsoft's website being on sale, and then suddenly it was gone. So was this an accident or not? Uh, people have been asking everyone about it. 
Microsoft Xbox port has said it's going to be on sale on the weekend. Microsoft themselves have at times said it was never on sale. <laughs> well, that's not going to work, guys. The developer the developer has implied that it's going to be on sale again. Possibly not for $10. <laughs> the publisher has only officially said it is not part of the sale. Huh. Thankfully, this weekend they added to the list of games that you could get on sale Duck Dynasty, which I'm sure everyone was waiting to get their hands on. Oh, There's Duck a Dynasty. game of that? Yeah. Oh, God. So anyway, um, yeah, Lord, Lords of the Fallen just is on sale, isn't on sale. It's Schrodinger's value. As of right now, it's still $65 Canadian. And the, the, the worst part about it was looking at the developers' tweets when it was on sale, hey. and people were excited and interested in trying this out finally, because it's it's an average Dark Souls clone. Nobody's going to be interested in paying $65 <laughs> or, or 100 some in, in Australia for an average Dark Souls clone. I could just go and get Dark Souls. It's not like it <laughs> has cheaper. a small amount of gameplay in it. <laughs> and... Honest to God, Lords of the Fallen. As far as first impressions go, that's not a really good uh, one. That's a title of wank. Here's the thing. I can't help but think that after you make that fuck up, just leave it on sale, because the only thing you've done by taking it back off sale is make sure no one, no one, no one is going to purchase it for the full price, at least until no, they find is... out whether or not it's going on sale again by the end of this sale. So just leave it on sale. Oh, there, just there, get there, people I'm to buy it. Who, I'm... Pretty sure there are plenty of people who are like, I'm not going to pay 65 for this. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember? And even if they might have been persuaded it... before, they're definitely not going to be now. The, the cat is out of that bag. I have a slightly worse story regarding sales, but I think what Jeb's really touching on here that's fascinating is the opaque nature of big budget video game development where the people who made that game weren't able to say for sure. Oh yeah, our product's on sale right now. Well, that's true, yeah. I mean, you had, what, the, the developer, the publisher, and Microsoft all tweeting different things about it, which, you know, mm-hmm. if nothing else, represents the fact that all three of those entities are entitled to talk about it, but clearly no one really knew what was going on. Yeah. Larry Herb uh, is the like community manager for the Xbox brand, and at at three different times he said three different things about what the status of oh. the is in the sale. <laughs> Brilliant. By the way, to the listener, we just want you to know, be nice to community managers. <laughs> they have it Unless they're that one guy. For the most part, there are a small number of community managers who genuinely are kind of dickish, power-hungry uh, people who just like pushing people around. But for the vast majority of community managers, they are doing the lowest end work. <laughs> it's one of the hardest jobs. It has the least fun. And one of the things that their job entails is logging on and being told that they're shit every day. I tend to put community managers in the same basket as, say, the people on the checkout, which is anything that you don't like about the experience you've just had. It's almost certainly nothing that you can do anything about. So just don't be an ass to them. Yeah. On Steam at one point, Dragon Age Origins went on sale. They advertised it using the Dragon Age 2 splash graphic, which prompted me to get my wallet out. Because, like, hey, Dragon Age 2. I've heard I've never seen that on Steam before. I should at least put it on my wish list. Turn up, it's just Dragon Age 1. But then the sale banner said it's 33% off. And some point in some internal database, this got really manked up because it meant that instead of charging, trying to offer me 30 to, uh, sorry, trying, instead of trying to charge me $30 for Dragon Age Origin, they tried to charge me $75. I don't even want to know how the maths is working in that case. I have been led to understand that that was a 
Australia exclusive problem because we have a separate database of prices. Yeah, but thirty three percent thirty three percent off. If you were supposed to pay three times seventy five dollars, even that. Like what was the work. original price on that fucking thing? Thirty dollars, thirty three percent off. It would have been twenty dollars. Okay, so how'd you well, get to see, since you're on the bo- since you're on the bottom of the planet, the prices are <laughs> down the prices are up. upside down. Yes, and this sort of weird thing happens occasionally. Where you actually uh, would have had to pay EE dollars. Where a price. <laughs> this sort of thing happens really weirdly occasionally in Steam sales. Where, for example, a banner will advertise a price for me at year, price at me in euros, and then do automatic conversion to dollars. Mm-hmm. So it'll say that this game is worth a hundred and sixteen dollars. I'm like, no, it's it's but really the fuck not. Fuck it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Even if it costs that. <laughs> This opaque layered development gives us all sorts of problems throughout gaming, and it's creating this invisible history that's, annoyingly, it's the sort of thing that journalists ideally would be writing about and talking about and maintaining, and they're not. Jeb is the only person I know of who has had anything to say about Lords of the Fallen's precipitous price drop. I I harp on the thief price plummet down to $7.50 in the space of six months. That's not even approaching that. <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about um, the barrier to entry for a lot of games. I mean, as people without a solid income most of the time, there are just so many games that, you know, happens less now, now that we have Steam and GOG and, and whatnot, but certainly back when my gaming mostly took place on consoles, uh, you know, I had three or four games for most of the consoles I could actually afford. Because uh, well, I could only afford to get a game that I knew I would enjoy. There was no try. See, that's the thing. With, with this with this sale, all of a sudden, this, this game that nobody would try, because it was a price that you look at on a Steam sale, and it's like, you know what, I can give it a shot for ten bucks. Yeah. Exactly. So I guess what I'm saying is developers should be all on publishers and retailers and whatnot to stop charging so damn much for their games because people won't play them. And through my years of marketing experience, I can definitely say that this is sound advice. Well, we can point to the example of people like Elon Musk, who (laughs) know full well that getting more people to use products like yours creates a larger market. There's definitely a flashpoint there, though. Like, that's something you can afford to do once you have enough money. Oh, yeah. Because you have to be sure that that increased uh, increased consumer base will actually buy the thing rather than just be interested in the thing. When Team Fortress 2 went free-to-play, a large part of the argument was that it would get more people to have Steam accounts. That's a pretty good argument. But once again, if Valve could afford to do that, they were not in a precarious position. That, and no offense meant to anyone who doesn't like it, Team Fortress 2 is a pretty remarkably high-quality product. Yes, absolutely. I mean... Obviously, this is going to work better if the product is actually good, because then the people who try it are going to spread it to a bunch of other people. But Thanks to the level of corporate control we have in big-budget video games, there's an opaqueness to both how games get made, who's involved in them, and how that affects us as the consumer. Uh, one example of this I can think of is the shutdown of 2K games. Now, look, no one here in this room is going to shed it too large a tear about the loss of Ken Levine's Bioshock Factory. Oh, that's what 2K Games is. But there is a lot of information there that we simply don't know. We don't know if it was an intentional thing to close off the Bioshock franchise. We don't know if it was done to free up the people for other work. We don't know. All we know is that we woke up one day and a company that had been responsible for what was being called a Game of the Year had just been shuttered and 
a large number of people were now out of work. That's fair. And that was pretty suspicious, too, because they, you know, everything did seem to be going fine, but also looking at the last piece of thing they did for Bioshock, it was very just hateful and mean-spirited, and I damn near got the feeling that they were basically going, fuck all y'all. But it did sell well. Yeah. And from a corporate, from the corporate structure, that's usually all you care about. Well, yes, but there's a good chance that, I mean, sorry, not a good chance, because I don't know what the studio thought of it, but... You know, it also wouldn't surprise me if the story went that the studio hated making this thing by the end of it. And so they were trying to do something which would make that clear and get themselves dissolved. Yeah. Even if that it doesn't make sense that that was the reason, because the thing did still sell somehow. And that's the frustrating element of this, this lack of journalism, this opaqueness to our own history. We don't know if 2K shut down because they were sick of it. We don't know if this was a planned move. We don't know anything. We don't know who knew. And there is a story there, potentially a very important story about things like how people who create games are treated, how programmers and music directors and texture creators and artistic asset concept artists, how those people could have just been treated as if they were disposable or it might have been a communal discussion. We don't know and we can't even ask them. And that's really sad. You could find someone to ask, but you'd need far greater resources than we have. They might not be allowed to say. They might not. Yeah, but they're not working for them anymore. What I was saying is, uh, the the thing that uh, I was hearing the most, because of when 2K was shuttered, based on my position and the people I interacted with most often, was, wow, what's Ken Levine going to do next? (laughs) Go away! Roll around in a giant pile of money? (laughs) Practice swimming Scrooge McDuck style. <laughs> the journalists I knew were more excited about Ken Levine going and doing his own thing than why one of the most successful studios in the entire industry ah. just shuddered. And what was going to happen to the people who were employed there, who actually made the goddamn game? The, the people who made the opening 25 minutes of Bioshock Infinite. Yeah, holy shit, the art team on that game. I want to know what they're going to do next. That oh, looked amazing. Gorgeous. And the sound, the music. Like, can you imagine rocking up to work and saying, yeah, we want you to oh, make... Oh, fuck yes. We, we want you to make a 1920s rendition of Girls Just Want to Have Fun on a pipe organ. And I want you to make it sound like it's being played outdoors at a beach. <laughs> I... Yeah. It's an amazing, amazing triumph of aesthetics. Uh, that game came out so strong. <laughs> it really... <laughs> It's an immensely frustrating game because there is, you know, a good 50% of the best game ever in there. And the rest of it is profoundly upsetting. Now, can you think of any other instances where this level of corporate obscurity has diminished your ability to to at least follow the story of a game? I was having trouble with it, but then I thought of one. I want to know whose fault Other M was. That's a good one. Because, I mean, we there's theories, and, you know, everybody <coughs> natively blamed the Jiggly Beach Volleyball team for it, but I I want to know how much of that was intended and how much of that was because they ran out of time or resources or did the cutscenes first, or... Yeah. I want to know well, what the actual narrative was. And there's also, you know, rumors going around, well, the, the developer really hates the character of Santos and... 
Yeah, not developer, yeah. the uh, the director. Sorry. Yeah. And whether or not it is actually that Nintendo perceives, well, that Japanese Nintendo Japanese fan base perceives her entirely different to what Westerners did right from the beginning. If they were ever the same character in the popular consciousness, or I mean, we have a working theory, but it's still a theory. There's a lot of information out there, and it doesn't point to one single thing. So. It's the sort of thing a journalist could do something about. I know. If only we had games journalism. Mm. Well, that um, was supposed to be a weird mispronunciation, but it just sort of sounded like I was trying to do an American accent and doing very badly. I uh, uh, Two years ago now, I hunted down and spoke to the head developer and programmer responsible for I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. Oh. Oh, wow. And I found this guy because I was tweeting about it, of all things. Oh. And he contacted me seeing it going, because like, a friend of mine retweeted what I said because it was funny. And this led to this guy who's like connected to a connected to a kind of thing. just the, the normal Twitter spread. It's like, oh wow, that's being sold again. I had no idea. I'm like, oh, you, you used to play? It? He says, no, I helped make the engine. Really? I wound up having a sit down interview with the guy. Well, sit down. Um, I wound up having a digital sit down interview with the guy in which he talked about how, from a programmer's perspective, you're kind of glad because effectively corporate is taking on all the risks. Yeah, yeah. But back then, the risks and the values were very different. Second of that... When was it made originally? Refresh me. 1994, I want to say. Oh, that's a while ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the level of distance was, okay, we finished the game. Cool. I'm packing up. I'm moving on to a different project. I'm not even thinking about it. I've worked on so many other games since then. I've worked on other projects. I've worked on business projects. I didn't know that I'd made a classic. (laughs) I didn't know that God was selling it again. That's the disappearing history and it's kind of scary well that was also that game was particularly interesting because of what happened with the rights wasn't it that was yeah like they they got bounced around and companies shut down and for a while no one knew who they belonged to that that's a fairly typical problem with 90s games 90s games Mm -hmm. we have a lot of instances where companies that owned rights were shuttered and then the rights were purchased as parts of packages but those packages were in some cases divided up in very unclear ways fallout is that what happened with Fallout, too? That is what happened to Fallout when yeah. Interplay went down. Because that explains why there was such a big gap. Well, Bethesda swooped in and grabbed the rights and started working on the, the started picking at the started picking at the bones of Van Buren like a, like a vulture. <laughs> and meanwhile, the the older games went up on GOG eventually, but then the rights expired. Now they're not and available. You may remember a, 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 oh. you remember a while back, Gog gave away <laughs> the Fallout games. Is that what for free? There? Yep, they said you're not going to be able That's to have it anymore. Believed to be the reason why, but nobody knows for sure because nobody's saying for sure if that's why they went for free on Gog. Huh. But it does just happen to be that the last month you could ever acquire Fallout on Gog, you didn't have to pay for it. <laughs> that uh, yeah. Well, once again, it would be nice to know the story behind that. And, and, and this further plays into the character of companies. Like, we look, we look at the character of CD Projekt. They aren't perfect people. Who's that? They're the people who own GOG. Right. And make The Witcher. Uh, yeah. Again, I, I'm not going to get into an elaborate discussion of CD Projekt. They are probably better people than they are bad people. But they aren't <laughs> perfect people. How because nobody is. Yeah, nobody... I understand they're apparently quite dickish to work for, for example. But they're pretty good about things like consumers' rights. Anyway. Um, but CD Projekt, is it possible that that final was a sort of beneficent, 
hey, let's make sure as many people as can possibly have it can enjoy Fallout, or was it a fuck you, Interplay's remains? <laughs> we don't know. Fuck you, you're not my real dad. <laughs> um, tell you what, another game, and I know that I know this is a game that's fairly dear to Jeb's heart. Was it a stab of future spite? We want to make sure everyone already has this game, so if the license does eventually get sold to someone who's not us and we've had to take it down, they won't make any money from it. <laughs> Which, it's on Steam now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. That was... Uh, that's a surprisingly short amount of time for that to come into effect. Then. It did that not take long at pretty all. Well, I have to say, I, there's a, I saw an even faster vulture move. Have you ever heard of a game called Constructor? No. Constructor is a fairly fun, personality-driven, um, built SimCity-ish, like yeah. a much closer scope to SimCity. Like you get to watch people walking around, and they're kind of cartoonish British comedy sort of style. Level between The Sims and SimCity. Yeah, um, but it was a pretty good game. Gog put it up. Then the company that owned, then the, then it got enough traction that the company that owned it said, "Why don't we do an HD remake?" Hey, Gog, take it down because it's an <laughs> HD remake. An hour after it went down, the Gog download was up on Abandonia. <laughs> like it's an abandoned game. You can't buy it legally. <laughs> this download is really good. It's like been all updated and all the patches are in. It runs on Windows Seven. Just saying. <laughs> and the company that owned it were like, eh, "That's fair." <laughs> See, this might be a dick move, but it's the kind of dick move that it's very hard to to actually feel bad about. It's cheeky. It's the one where it, it is the cheeky. one where it's like I've yeah. got to give it to you. That was good. Yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes you have to. Sometimes you have to accept the fact that you've been owned. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes like me, you must applaud a dick. I know this game is somewhat close to your heart. Sim City. Sim City is also a good game, but it's definitely no bad rats. Yeah. Specifically, I'm thinking about the 2010, 2012 remake of SimCity. Yes. I bet that was the joke, wasn't it? You yeah. both named SimCity? <laughs> God damn, I wish they wouldn't do that. <laughs> but no, um... I know! Fuck doing that! The the the, the online SimCity yeah. was a game that I actually genuinely enjoyed playing. Yeah. But there was so much bullshit about it. Yep. <laughs> and we have a narrative around that. We now... There's, a, there's an established game and narrative around that, which is... EA are terrible people, and they did terrible things to this wonderful game that it could have been. No, that's a very easy narrative, because EA is a stock character at this point. EA is a comic book villain at this point. It's not necessarily EA themselves. It's the narrative that has been created around EA is this comic book villain. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, you know, that's dangerous, because no one's going to look for a deeper explanation to things that screw consumers that EA is involved with. Such as Dragon Age 2, its development. God. Does that screw consumers? I mean, I, I get that it was disappointing, but there wasn't anything... Well, it is, it is, it is, uh, it is a case of EA meddling. Ah. I Didn't they it. shorten the, the release it, schedule heavily? They tightened it to within, to within about a year. That's true, that was a good discussion. Uh, yeah. Did we have anything else to put in there? Um, well, the other two examples... Well, the thing is, we could, easy, we could easily spout off into more about EA. Yeah. Just, like I said, Dragon Age 2 and uh, the Ultima series. Yeah. My Ultima could... 8 was one of the earliest games I ever played, and apparently it's the shit one. Ah, oh, Pagans! Oh, 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 no, no, no? Ultima 9, 9, oh, no, Ultima 9 okay. exists. Ultima 9 is the time they try to go for a real action... No, I'm thinking King's Quest like, uh, 7. Sorry, I'm thinking, I'm thinking King's Quest 9. Uh, you're right in both cases. Oh, God. <laughs> when I first 
Like one of the first things I did when I got on the internet, because that was about the same time when I first got internet access, um, was the response to this being like overwhelmingly down on just like, you know, what is this? They changed everything. Where's the party members? It's a different perspective. Ultima 8 Pagan was very different. Time has been felt somewhat gentler to it. It holds up bloody well visually, I must say. But the real sting is what came after it. Right. Yeah. Did, go on, Jeb. they didn't go FMV. <laughs> Jeb. <laughs> they went three uh, third-person 3D action role-playing game like you'd see in uh, in a Morrowind or... Mm. This was way earlier than 3D could do good third-person action games, wasn't it? Oh, This was yes. when 3D looked like it looked in, like, Final Fantasy VII. Ecstatica came out the same year. At, oh, wait, you don't know Ecstatica. I do not know Ecstatica. Damn! Because Ecstatica is an amazing example of what early 3D did with what limited resources it had. <laughs> would, um, would Alone in the Dark 2 be a good comparison? Alone in the Dark 3 came out the same year as Pagan. Okay, so it's not quite as primitive as not I was Not quite imagining. as primitive as Alone in the Dark 2, but this was not as good, you know, new... And the problem is the Alone Alone in the Dark 3 still looked like ass. What was the mood of Ultima 9 like? Because 8, um, I'm surprised I didn't think to... We don't want to render the sky. I'm really surprised to think that I did not bring this up in the horror episode, because this was, uh, how to say, Ultima 8 was my Dark Souls. It just dropped you into this world with very little explanation, expected you to wander around, and everything would kick the shit out of you unless you sort of worked out where to go first that was safe. Yeah, it was um, it was very much of your early or well, your late origin historical game where it came with a manual. It came with a bound hardback manual. Uh, it came with a little paperback gave manual. You an, but... P- PC re-releases gave you a PDF and a leaflet. <laughs> yeah, here's the thing though. I read that. That didn't explain it. <laughs> but it didn't need explaining. That was okay. Like this was. It was an uh, exploratory game in the same way that Dark Souls was, in that you were supposed to in... go and find shit out by doing shit and poking things and seeing what bit you and, you know, who who tried to kill you or get you arrested for something. Or... It was cool like that. I didn't play it very far because it was the first role-playing game I ever encountered, and I didn't at that point get the idea of, like, we'll raise your stats and you'll be better able to not die to the giant spider thing. Or... Ultimate 8 literally drops you right into the action. Yeah. Like, you, you're picked up by... <laughs> by, by the uh, hand of Richard Garriott. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of the, the the name of the was that the Deceiver? Oh, the British villain. slaps you. Well, the the overarching villain of the of the series, uh, the the gatekeeper or whatever, picks you up after picks you up after picks up the Avatar after uh, the Serpent Isles and literally drops you into Pagan. And the majority of the game is how the hell can I get back to the Serpent Isles? By the way, your family would have loved that game. Because it had a glowing, burning pentagram on the cover. On an island named Pagan. Yeah. This is a game that my family was a bit nervous about being a satanic influence on me. Your family would have exploded. Um, my family explicitly saw the cover of that box and refused to let me play any other game. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not surprised. Which is a shame because the first seven games were excellent. I wound up smuggling on three and a half inch floppies a <laughs> copy of Ultima 7's expansion pack without the base game. Aww. That's the that's the Serpent Isles, which is okay. Yeah, but it doesn't run without the base game. <laughs> I thought it was standalone. Uh, I might have just been awful at it. I, I can't remember. <laughs> I just remember getting these discs home from Canberra with this incredibly disappointed air. And they were labeled things like Bible Math Quiz. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so lovely. 
I can think of uh, two other instances. Sorry, sorry, the, the SimCity Maxis debacle. We don't know how much of that was Maxis. We don't know how much of that was EA. We don't know how much of what they were operating on was reasonable. We don't know how much what they were operating on was ridiculous because all this information is kept closed. Yeah, yeah. You see, speaking of SimCity, uh, one thing I have heard that seems fairly credible is that a lot of the nonsense involved with it was actually Maxis' decision. Yeah. And EA covering for them. That's the because that's what a yet. publisher is supposed to do. <laughs> and and EA are in a EA are in a unique position where because they can never do anything right, anything wrong doesn't hurt them. Because it's just well, that's EA. They can't lower the expectations of EA at this point. Yeah, they can't hurt their brand by being seen as horrible. So interesting. The 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 two things I heard, and again, I can't prove these. These are effectively journalistic rumor. Were that the DRM was Maxis's idea because they were of the secondary belief that their game wouldn't sell many copies, so they wanted to make sure that they maximized the profit they got off the copies they sold. Effectively, they were afraid they were going to make a niche little game and wanted to make as much money as they could off it. Had they not noticed the existence of SimCity in the past? What? Okay, I'm, I'm not a SimCity player, like from way back, I don't have the history with it either you guys do, but it would be wrong to call it a niche game, right? It would be, considering The Sims is one of the best selling video games of all time, it would be wrong to say that The Sims name has no cachet, but they were convinced that the game that they were making, which was an actual city buildery... Well, you know, I, there's a difference between The Sims and SimCity. I know they're related concepts, but <clears throat> like the people I know who are the... The, here are my finger quotes, non-gamers, uh, I know, who love The Sims, don't play SimCity. Um, they, I think they have pretty different kinds of markets, but it, that's because The Sims kind of is... I was going to call it a niche game, but even though it's one of the best I get... But it is, and it isn't. Uh, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Ah, who are we kidding? This is not making the edit. This probably isn't making the edit. But nonetheless, the argument being that... They thought SimCity, a SimCity type game, wouldn't sell well. This right, is also one. Yeah. This this connects to what was the biggest problem people were having in the first opening of it? Server overload. Couldn't log in. Ah, right. Too many people playing to build deal. cities. Yeah, they they had a problem that MMO development normally has. Now consider if you were building your game expecting a user <coughs> that at peak would be a tenth or a twentieth of that server's load, suddenly what happened seems a lot more of a reasonable expectation. You know, we were expecting this many sales, we made a server this big, oh dear. This is this is the nature of video gaming today. We have a disappearing history, and that's why it's worth us mentioning even these little odd details. Just thinking a little harder about stuff rather than accepting a narrative, because a narrative is easy for people to grasp... That's what we do, but they're almost never true. Just try and have some sympathy for the people who make the products you like and the products you don't like. Yeah, just try not to be an arsehole. Except Ken Levine. And now it's time for Retro Gaming News. All the news is fit to print for the month of February 2012. Brought to you by Jigglypuff's Frosted Sugar Cereal. Perfect for breakfast, lunch, and tea. We have ourselves a bit of an anomaly. We know that February is a bad month for game releases. One day this week had 20 titles launch. One day. And I'm pretty certain you won't know any of them. It was February 29th because all the companies wanted to fuck with people's time zone referencing it. No, that, that's not it. No, that's that's no. not it, I'm afraid. No. So, we have a fairly large crop of games in 2012, February, this you know, past fortnight to talk about. We're going to start with ones that you've probably actually heard of. It was Valentine's Day. They were all Edogate. 
No. Mm. Interesting idea, but no. Trails in the sky. <laughs> no. <laughs> it wasn't tits, damn it. <laughs> Everybody call Talon to vote for an Aragay episode. <laughs> okay, first things first, we have a not a game game. In all seriousness, I've got it. It's because console launched, right? Yeah, it's it's because it's because a, a specific console launched, and yet despite that, I'm absolutely certain you won't know most of the games. Because <laughs> they're all launch titles, and yep. Wait, a, not a game that launched in 2012 February is it Stanley Parable? Oh, right, right genre, right engine, right origin, wrong game. What the fuck, dear Esther? Dear Esther. Dear Esther started its life as a Half-Life mod, the same way that Stanley Parable did. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Dear Esther. Launched. It wasn't a launch title for anything, though, right? No. No. We're doing the non-launch titles first. Oh, we know. Oh, okay. Then we can guess which console launched, right? Because I have no fucking idea. Oh, you can totally guess what console launched. In fact, I've even it? forgotten which year we're in. It's 2012, and unfortunately, Jeb just skunked you. Yeah. It's what did he do? Aww. Oh, well, I'm definitely not going to know anything that launched on the Vita! Exactly! <laughs> not... <laughs> Neither of you are going to... Well, Sorry, Vita. I feel a... kind of bad about it, but it's not my fault. You're about four times as expensive as I could afford. All right. I can tell you what, let's just dive straight into the Vita games the, then. The PlayStation, the PlayStation TV is cheap, but uh, <laughs> they have to get it working first. We'll, we'll talk about only two of the PlayStation Vita launch titles, because these ones that have enough crossover influence you might have seen. We have a casual game. A turn-based casual game. A turn-based casual game that you can probably buy on any mobile device. A turn-based casual game that you can get free on Origin sometimes. Origin? Close. That's what I was going to say too. Um, but... Not Bejeweled. Um, Peggle. A turn-based casual game... With an incredibly annoying, overused component of its premise. All of them. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. Uh, An incredibly overused component. Oh, zombies. Plants vs. Zombies. Plants vs. Zombies. Yes. Oh. Yeah, Plants vs. Zombies on the oh, it was a launch title for the PS Vita, but that's not surprising. It's I think we need to go deeper with the zombies thing. I want to see a game that has the zombies of zombies, because zombies themselves are now obsolete and have been dead for many years and now they're coming back as something else. Still, this, th- okay, this game title sounds vulgar. Cock fails. No, no, I'm afraid of the game. The <laughs> Brought to you by cock fails. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know what it is, but it sounds funny. It's not cock fails. Uh, it's a franchise game. It's a franchise that's on the PlayStation 3. And PlayStation, I think on the PlayStation 4 now. It has tank controls, but not the kind of tank controls Jeb and I normally mean. I want to say it's a Katamari, but I can't think how that sounds dirty. What if the game was called Touch Me, Katamari? Oh, okay. <laughs> we will oblige this request. Yeah. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> moving right along. Mo- moving so we have to Have say I about geeked that. about Katamari on this podcast yet? Not, not hard. That's something else I did not play for a long time because I didn't own a PlayStation 2 until forever into its development cycle, and I didn't own a PlayStation 3 until, like, last year. Wait, year before now. I've had it for, like, a whole year. Uh, yeah, but Katamari is fucking excellent. It has the best sense of humor out of many, many games. Uh, it's just a bizarre, stupid, completely sideways perspective, strange view of the world, and it's 
just exciting and fun the whole way through. I love it. This game, so we're moving away from the PS Vita launch titles now. Because Are we done with that? Yeah, we're done with that. That's yeah. all the PS Vita had at launch? No, the PS Vita had like 18 other titles. Oh, it's just okay. they were things like Burn Up, XW, Woodchopper, or something we have ourselves a platform game. Came out on the Xbox. I believe it has since been released for the Wii U. It's a game with a rhythm component, but it isn't core to the game necessarily. It's a revival of a franchise. Is it Rayman Legends? That would be the one. Does that have a rhythm component? Jeb, tell Fox about Rayman Legends. Uh, well, Rayman Origins has... Uh, music levels. Oh, sorry. It, it is Origins. Okay. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> sorry, listeners. Uh, in the in the the most recent Rayman game, each world ends with what's called music level, where they take a popular song of some sort and adapt it to the the Rayman musical aesthetic, and you play through the level in time with the song. If you execute you're platforming well, you're playing in time with the song. Oh, that's very cool. It is It is amazing. The very first thing I ever saw of it was uh, the, the Castle Rock level, which is Black Betty done as <laughs> a, a medieval... Oh, right. Twanging... We're, we're going to watch videos of this as soon as the record's over. Yeah, that's going to happen. <laughs> ah. There's a level that has Eye of the Tiger <laughs> as a mariachi number. <laughs> that's amazing. Wonderful. Oh, goddammit. I've always been a little bit frustrated that I hate Rayman's design, the character. Because otherwise I probably would have been quite interested in the games before now. Lots of blue sky stuff, yeah. It's just making me even more frustrated. Especially because having seen demos of the recent ones, I love everything about how that game looks except for the goddamn character. He's just so unappealing. You don't have to pl- You don't have to play as Rayman. Who do you play as? You can play as Rayman, uh... Two teensies, uh, and there's a variety of unlockable characters as well. If you finish the game, you can unlock the princess. Do any of them look like uh, not a Rayman character? Well, they all look like Rayman. Because that's the but... problem. <laughs> yeah, Fox, you don't don't try and describe aesthetic sense through the phone. It's not going to work. I'm not. I'm. <laughs> but you can play as a big giant frog. That could be a little bit cool. Yeah, possible. Anyway, um, last two last two games on the retro list. Now we have ourselves this one's this one's going to be a bit interesting because there's a possibility that you won't know about it. It's an iOS game, all right? It well, I'm isn't out. listed in the game section of iOS. It's it's uh currently it gets reincarnated every couple of months. It gets a, like a, a new edition every year. Um, it has an exoludic game component. Um, you're getting there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It also features. Zombies. God. Oh. <laughs> no? Yeah, okay. What, what do you want from me? Is it loom? Well, when you said zombie, when, when you said, I was going to say wood, I was going to say woodlouse, but. No, no. Um, It's a game called Zombies Run. Oh, I have heard about that because the Matt Lees yes. was talking about it. Yeah. Yes. This, this is an amazing idea. And if you're interested at all in gaming podcasts, check out the Daft Souls, Souls <laughs> podcast who've got to do a whole, ep- who've done a whole episode on Zombies Run. But essentially, Zombies Run is a phone game where you tell it, I'm going to go for a run for this much time. And it structures your run as if you are the runner for a encampment of humans in a post-apocalyptic zombie setting. And as you're going, you'll get, like, radio information from people back at the base. And some of this stuff is spoilery. Like, I, I don't want to tell you how it elaborates on this. But considering their only mechanic is 
you're running, run faster or run slower. They managed to make an engaging game out of this. That, I have to say, that sounds like an excellent, fun game. Uh, I Want Zombies Walk. Yeah. It was actually really frustrating for me listening to the Dark Souls podcast talk about it because they had this attitude of, yeah, but you don't run because it's boring, it's no fun. And I'm sitting here going, no, I don't run because it's physically painful and I, I am in danger of I damaging can't. my body. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it is a game that does have an exclusionary element. If you can't run, yeah, heavily you can't so. play it. Which is frustrating because it's a good idea. And I mean, one, one of the things that they do what? to fill in the blank spots is they will have the characters back at base, mucking around with a radio. And they're like, hey, look, check it out. We could be I radio did, DJs. I love the idea of a radio station. And like, you remember the radio station in Fallout 3? Yeah. Like, they basically I got the impression of that, set with a couple of guys trying to do comedy stuff, and your selection of music. Exactly. Which is just wonderful in they so many ways. They use your MP3 collection on your phone. Like, hot damn, that is good. Just a really good set of ideas all nightly, nicely yeah. mashed together. In, uh, like, a, a $2 purchase. If you're a fitness person, if you like to run, if you'd like to get into running, check out Zombies Run. It's pretty interesting. All right. Now, last last piece of retro gaming news for the week. It's a remake with the I same... thought we were done with those. <laughs> with the same title as the first. I thought we were done with those. Wait, uh, remakes would have the same title as the first. Okay, no. It's a rebrand. It's a relaunch. Okay. It's a sequel where they use the same goddamn name. I think calling it a sequel is possibly overstating it. So it's a heavily iterative sequel with the same goddamn name. No, no. No? It's it's the exact opposite of a heavily iterative sequel. It's in a different genre. Okay. Alright. It is a fairly uh, well-trod genre that it moved into. It originally was a different genre that was much more niche. It's a bullfrog property. It's banned in Australia. Oh, uh, this is, um, the, was it Syndicate Wars? Was the, okay, it's we are talking about Syndicate, syndicate. Though, right? We're talking about Syndicate. Yeah. Yeah. Not legal for purchase in Australia. in Australia. Jesus Christ, is it another drug thing? No, it's because of a sequence where a character uses a minigun. For fuck's sake, country! And they, you can see that on TV any day of the week! And they had a bunch of grandmas in that day, basically. Fucking, they always have a bunch of grandmas in. This is how our censorship laws are designed. Quick, somebody call Grandma and see if she wants to watch this. Yeah. It it frustrates me greatly because... Sorry, I'm just being a pissy little storm cloud on your sunshine policy for a minute because that's what our censorship standards deserve. I'm done. It's over. I really wanted to play Syndicate. I'm surprised by this, but I really did actively want to play Syndicate um, because Caitlin Gad, the Caitlin Cad, successfully convinced me that there's some interesting ideas going on there in the multiplayer. Because in the multiplayer, every character has like you know you got your gun, but you also got your cyber hacking element. And so different characters do different types of hacking. Like certain types of characters, like, yeah, I just hack the guns around me so people around me shoot worse. But you'll get, at the end of each multiplayer map, there's like a boss. And so you'll have people sitting there trying to maintain line of sight on the boss. If they shoot, the boss will notice them, turn around and stop them. But effectively, you have two players who are trying to always stealth the boss so they can be hacking him. They get through his shields and then everyone unloads on him. Whilst you have other players who are like, yeah, I'm trying to lure the boss away, so I'm shooting the boss uselessly in the face. This really active, fast, fun, first-person shooter, co-op only, multiplayer mode. I really wanted to play that. Unfortunately, it's also boring as hell. Ah. (laughs) I have it. Uh, There you go, you're not not missing out on much. (laughs) That's a shame. 
Consolation. Also, it's only multiplayer. Damn it! <laughs> so the single player campaign has none of that. It, no, there's no single player. Wow. Huh. I heard that there was a really awful single player plot. Ah, never mind. I, if, if it's in there, I didn't find it. That's a lot. I went to play it single player and all I had was bots. What are some games you think you'd like to see sequels of, Jeb? Sequels? sequels. I don't know. They've already announced Bad Rats 2. And... <laughs> da, 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 da. God, fuck damn it. <laughs> There's your stinger. Everything else aside, this has to go into this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm screwed. All right. I can give you some. Oh, uh, just, just, uh, Jeb, in all seriousness, would you have wanted to see a proper Dragon Dogma sequel? Oh, God, yes. Dragon, Dragon's Dogma 2 would have... I would have bought whatever console it came out on no, without hesitation. Dragon's Dogma was... Almost everything about it was outstanding. Are we talking Two Worlds style good, or...? We're talking one of the finest uh, fantasy action role-playing experiences I've ever had. Fantasy action role-playing, yeah. I've heard that it suffers slightly in that if you play a mage, you never find out how amazing the game is. Oh, it's it's visceral, it's combat, it's... It's your it's your melee and missile combat oriented. You want to get up there. You want to climb on top of the Hydra's back and chop it head off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when a game advertises itself as climb on top of giant monsters and chop off bits of them, you want to play a class where you're climbing on top of the giant monsters and chopping off bits. Exactly. It's it's like in The Witcher with the you know. Do you want to push the button that stabs the dragon in the face? Yes, I want to be the person who pushes a button that stabs a dragon in the face. Whereas. In the case of a lot of other games, they make it so that those same events are kind of boring and dull. But, yeah. Um, yeah, Dra Dragon's Dogma, I've heard very good things about. I haven't... Dragon's Dogma is a weird game in that I've never heard anyone who seriously dislikes it. I've heard people kind of meh about it's it. because nobody dislikes Dragon's Dogma who's played it. <laughs> what about you, Fox? What are some games you want to see get sequels? I want the Loom sequels. Ha! Apparently there were planned to be two and three games. Uh, the second of which, I think, would have starred the head of the Shepherd's Guild. And for those who played Loom, that would have been excellent. Do you want to do smooches on her? She was a hottie. <laughs> Actually, I think she was a more aspirational crush. Ah. Like, she was kind of... Uh, you, you don't speak to her for very long. You don't experience a lot of her character. But because she's in this position of authority and she just sort of makes slightly suggestive comments to you now and then. Uh, she's just a worldly older woman within a position of power. And uh, I'm fond of those. I would assume the, uh, the intellectual property was free now. Surely. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I mean, Lucasfilm has, has finally let its stuff be relaunched on other platforms, but I don't think that means they're just free-for-all. No, you're right. Um, and the game did have a very open-ended ending. Like, it, it, it wasn't that it was an unsatisfactory ending. Like, it, it was certainly an ending, but uh, it wasn't an ending that prevented anything else from happening. It was definitely leaving itself open. As far as me, sequels I want to see happen... I I feel like this is one of those instances where I need to give my wish to my friend in the... <laughs> Escape Go 3? No! Cave Story, cave story 2. Cave Dead. No, I, I think for Jason's sake, I would like to see Beyond Good and Evil 2. <laughs> yeah, okay. And, and I mean by that, the Beyond Good and Evil 2, 
that's in his mind and is worth the wait. <laughs> because I ultimately fear that right now, yeah, it's not happening. Fair. I'd, uh, I'd very much like to see... Half-Life 3 is definitely coming out, everyone. <sighs> Along with The Last Guardian. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that wasn't a sequel. That's just a non-call. I'd like to see another Muramasa. Or another Odin's Fact. I'd like to see them doing something. I would like to see the Vanillaware team doing another game that is fun and action-packed and not about massive jiggly cheeks. It's Vanillaware, right? Yeah. I think it'd be interesting because Vanillaware, you have, they did a Nordic game, they did a Japanese game, they did a sort of a British myth game in, in Dragon's Crown. <laughs> they did Bazetta. Yeah, I, I think it'd be nice to see if they could then move on to, say, uh, Native American or, or yeah. um, South American or Indonesian myth. Just, just love, keep going to yeah. different cultures and picking up different sets of myths and making new stories inspired by them. Sure, yeah. I mean, I'm not really asking for a sequel here. What I want is more like a spiritual successor because I loved playing Odin Sphere and Muramasa as much as I loved looking at them. They're fucking amazingly pretty games. Um, and, you know, Dragon's Crown was ultimately disappointing because I was hoping for more of that and that wasn't really what it was. It was veering off in the other direction that they'd been sort of leaning towards, which is obviously we do like titties. And, you know, they had always had that aspect of heavily exaggerated art and proportions uh, in such a way as they echoed the, the traditional art of the cultures they were drawing from. Like, uh, the, there's a couple of uh, particular demons and whatnot that appear in Muramasa who are, you know, wearing hilariously stupid costumes or, or have really almost comical proportions in that they're, you know, sexual, but it's kind of, you know... It, it's Preposterous. It, yeah, it, it's preposterously sexual, and that's what the source material brought with it. So it was kind of cool in that respect. It's like the Tengu's nose as a dick thing. <laughs> Yeah, whereas Dragon's Crown was... I mean, they were also drawing upon source material, definitely, but it, at that point they weren't drawing upon the mythology, they were drawing upon pop art stylings. From... They were drawing some big-ass titties. They really were. <laughs> they were, and they weren't... You know, the, the big-ass titties part was imposed on these myths at a much later date, rather than actually belonging with them to begin with. First you draw... First you draw... First you draw a circle, and then you... <laughs> big talk. asses and titties! <laughs> big asses and titties. I don't think we're going to be able to top big ass and titties as a way to round out the show. That's all for this week's Downloadable Concept Podcast. So until next time, that's been Jet. That's been Talon. And that's been Fox. Join us next week when we will have been rebranded with the label Christian Math Blast. <laughs> One, two, three, Sonic! No. <laughs> they didn't do it.